Good morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day again. We're glad that you could join us today. The question we're addressing in this series is, if your life was like a piece of fruit, would it be sweet or sour on the inside? You know, it's whenever we work together, definitely when we live together, in particular, whenever the pressures of life uh, come into our lives, that the outside persona that we project is peeled back, and what comes out on the inside is either sweet or sour, maybe it's rotten, maybe it's pleasant. Now, left to ourselves, of course, we're, we kind of are like a piece of fruit. You leave a fruit all by itself, just sitting out, it's eventually going to become rotten and bitter on the inside. And so we're kind of like that. It's when we restore our broken relationship with God through Jesus Christ that we are reattached to the kind of life that He grows. And the life of His Spirit begins to flow into our lives, and over time He grows some amazing fruit. A list of the kind of fruit that He grows is found in the New Testament book of Galatians. Here's what it says in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 of Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, it says, there is no law. In other words, you, you can't just command these, these fruits into existence. These qualities don't just appear in someone's life. They need to be grown. And God provides the power. His Spirit provides the power. And we can either cooperate or not cooperate in the growing of these fruits. Now, today we turn our attention to the second piece of fruit on the list, and that is joy. As far as I can tell, we are the only country in the world whose birth certificate mentions happiness. I mean, our Declaration of Independence says it right there. It gives us the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, happiness is the only one of the three in that list that has a qualifier attached to it. And that's because we can pursue happiness, but whether we uh, define happiness or arrive at happiness, that's a little complicated. Happiness proves to be pretty elusive. But we are a country fixated on the pursuit of happiness. Now, the good news is that happiness is also a part of the Christian birth certificate. The word on that document is slightly different. The word is joy, not happiness. Now, both happiness and joy are after the same goal. They're both after an internal sense of delight. But the difference between the two is in their approach. Let me illustrate the difference by showing an outline of a person. Happiness is something that originates from outside of a person and moves inward. In other words, it's driven by the circumstances that they are facing. Joy, on the other hand, is different. It originates from inside a person and then moves outward. Now, the difference between the two shows up in our ability to control the feeling as well as the longevity of it. Now, the outline not only represents, you know, the outline of a person, it also represents the limits that come with being a person. Everything on the inside is what we have control over. But everything on the outside is, well, what happens to us, the circumstances of life. Now, we can influence what happens on the outside. We can have influence on the things outside of us, but we do not have control of those things. Now, what that means is, if happiness originates from the outside, we can't just choose to be happy. And we can choose to pursue happiness, but life needs to cooperate with us in order for us to be happy. And life turns out to be very uncooperative at times. Now, the lack of control that comes from happiness originating from outside of us also affects the longevity. 
Life, it turns out, is not only uncooperative, it's also very dynamic. It changes a lot. The circumstances that are needed to make a person happy can come and go pretty quickly. We can be happy one moment and then just five minutes later be completely unhappy. This is one of the main reasons that relationships are such a challenge, and marriage in particular is such a challenge. You know, uh, you marry the person of your dreams, and then your dreams change. And then you change, and they change, and your environment changes. And what made, what made two people happy at the beginning, that's the reason they got married, it's because the other person made them happy, now all of a sudden doesn't make them happy anymore. Now, the key idea that we need to understand is that we were not created primarily for an environment. We were created primarily for a relationship, a relationship with God. This means that we will only truly be able to be happy, to have that sense of delight on the inside over a long period of time through a living, dynamic relationship with the God who created us and loves us. That is the source of joy on the inside. The Apostle Paul, who was a first-century church planner, was the author of much of the New Testament. And one of the letters that he wrote is to the church in Philippi. The letter is called Philippians now. And he's writing this letter from a prison in Rome, like he wrote many of the letters. And he's awaiting trial before Caesar to determine whether he would live or die. That is not a happy circumstance. Prison in Rome was not a happy place to be. But throughout this particular letter, the word joy shows up again and again. It turns out to be Paul's primary emotion while he's sitting there in this Roman prison. Here's a few examples. Chapter 1, verse 4, he says, In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Then just a few verses later, he's talking about how his enemies are trying to take advantage and cause him trouble while he's in jail. And he says, well, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Not just now, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Chapter 2, verse 2, he goes on to say, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose. And then, a few verses later, as he's thinking about the investment that he's made in this young church and the number of people who are deciding to not follow Jesus anymore, he's looking at maybe his life investment in them kind of not really showing up as any good results. And he says in verse 17, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, what he's saying is even if my investment in you is just kind of like pouring out water on an altar that trickled down the ground and now I can't find anything to show for it, even if that's my investment, and the sacrifice and service coming from your faith to build your faith. I, I've made all kinds of sacrifices, and I served you. But even if you don't do anything with it, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be joyful. Now, that's a big statement. Coming near the end of his life, looking at his life work and saying, I don't know if I'm going to anything to show for this, but you know, I'm joyful. And then in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Not in the circumstance, but in the Lord. Finally means, let me just sum it all up this way. Now remember, Paul is writing from a prison. Clearly the joy is not coming from the outside. It's coming from the inside. Now if Paul can be full of joy in the dark, cold, and smelly confines of a Roman prison, it must be possible for us 
to be joyful in the middle of whatever situation we're facing. The big question, of course, is how. How did Paul come to be joyful in the middle of that? How do we come to be joyful in whatever we're facing? Well, in chapter 4, the last chapter of this letter, Paul concludes the letter by telling us the secret about how to find the kind of joy that only God can generate from the inside of us. Here's what we read in chapter 4, verse 8 of Philippians. Finally, he again says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, you'll notice that he's already said finally in the previous chapter when he told us to rejoice in the Lord. So is this just Paul kind of overusing the word finally and finally doesn't really mean finally? He's using it as emphasis? Well, it could be. But I think that he's using the same word at the beginning of two different verses because those two verses are linked. My suspicion is that chapter 3, verse 1, where he commands us to rejoice in the Lord, is the command. And chapter 4, verse 8, this verse I just read, is the how to do the command part. It turns out that the key to joy is found by taking a very close look at the things that you and I are thinking about. Behind everything that we feel and everything that we do are thoughts that support it, that come first. Now, it's not just one thought per one feeling. It turns out there's a lot of thoughts behind our feelings. If I just had one sad thought a day, I could replace that one sad thought with one joyful thought and then be joyful for the rest of the day. But we have more than just one thought or 10 thoughts or even 100 thoughts a day. Turns out we have thousands of thoughts a day. Using brain scans, neuroscientists now estimate that the average person thinks about 50,000 thoughts per day. That's a lot of thoughts. Now, of course, a brain brain scan can't tell you How many of those 50,000 thoughts are sad ones? Or how many thoughts are happy ones? But it would be reasonable to assume that depending on the day, we might have thousands of sad thoughts. And those thoughts have a tremendous power and impact on us. Scientists can now also demonstrate that every thought we have sends electrical waves and chemical waves throughout our body, ultimately affecting every cell in our body. It turns out that thoughts, they don't control, but they they influence our sleep. They influence pulse. They influence our digestion and many other bodily functions. Our thoughts really matter. They affect everything. So, Long before brain science, God inspired Paul to write these words. Now, many of us use a to-do list to focus our efforts on the things that need to get done in a given day. This list is God's to-think list. These words are to be the focus of our mind. These are the thoughts that we are to make sure that we think about regularly. And that's because one chosen thought has tremendous power. Scientists can actually see the immediate results of a brain scan when they tell people to think about certain things. They can see a new thought fire, but it turns out they don't just see one thought firing. 
they see a cascade of thoughts that come from that one thought. In the brain scans, it almost looks kind of like an avalanche has been kicked off. One thought, it's kind of like one pebble or one sound in a snow-packed mountain, and it can trigger another thought and another thought, and pretty soon the whole valley is filled with thoughts that were triggered by that one, one pebble, that one thought. So just imagine if you were to initiate maybe five or ten thoughts a day from this list. That might trigger an avalanche of hundreds or maybe thousands of good thoughts. Now, what we think has tremendous power, but there's a power behind what we think that neuroscience cannot measure. It doesn't show up in any brain scans. And that is the fact that our thoughts are the primary means by which we form a real link between us and God. Now, that's the nature, really, of all relationships. No thinking about means no relationship. There's lots of people in this world that I'm not thinking about because I don't know them. I don't have a relationship with them. All relationships begin with a thought. It may be just a name coming from an introduction as the first thought. But over time, the quality of that relationship will be determined determined by the kinds of thoughts that we have about them and they have about us. And it's the same in our relationship with God. We can't see God physically, but we can think And he has thoughts about us. And that's the very basis of our relationship, of our link. And so the six thoughts that follow in this verse are the six thoughts that really form the basis of our link with God, particularly as it applies to joy. So we're going to look at these six. The first one on the list is true. We are to think about whatever is true. This is the link to God. Accepting the truth about us And the truth about God is what uh, forms the primary link between us and him. It's like in any relationship. If someone refuses to even recognize the truth about me in my name, then we can't have a relationship. If I do the same to them, the relationship is broken. So truth is what forms the primary link between us and God. But what does that link have to do with joy? Well, let's go back to the diagram of the person. Remember, happiness comes from the outside, and therefore it's dependent on our external circumstances. Joy comes from the inside, and that can be experienced even in the worst of circumstances, like it was for Paul sitting in prison. But here's the challenge. There is nothing inside of us with the power to muster up joy. We are able to kind of hype ourselves up into some feelings for a while, but nothing that resembles joy. We don't have a joy generator on the inside. And that's because the source of joy is with God. It's Him. Heaven is the place, we are told, that has no tears, the place of ultimate joy. The problem is we're not there. We're here. And here, well, here there there are a lot of tears here. There's a lot of reason for sadness here. So the question is, how can God's joy, the joy of heaven, get inside of us? Because we can't just ramp up joy. We need to go to the source. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the conduit that connects the life of God to the inside of us. That's why Paul was able to rejoice in prison. 
Quite literally, he was breathing the air of heaven that brought joy to his soul. But just because the hose or the link has been run from heaven to us doesn't mean we have to breathe it. We can step on the hose. Or we can choose to breathe the air around us instead. And the walls that line the outside of this hose, that really form the hose, they're made up of God's truth. As soon as you step outside of God's truth, you have removed the hose from yourself and you're now breathing the ideas that are around you, not, not the truth of God. This is why Jesus said that we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What he's saying is, just like you know your bodies need food to live, your soul also needs something to live on. And what it needs is words from me. It needs my truth. Without that, your soul will wither on the inside. So it turns out that God's words are are not just deep thoughts from heaven. They are, in fact, the very life of God. As real as food is to the body, they are life to the soul. They allow his life to make its way into our life. Now, the reason that we can scrounge up a measure of happiness in this world is because this world was made by God's words. He spoke, and this came to be. What that means is there is now a residue of joy remaining in this world, much like the smell of a pie remains in the room even after the pie's left. So we can scratch the surface of this world. We can cobble together experiences that makes us feel this bliss, this happiness, this joy on the inside. But it's only temporary because it's just the smell of heaven. It's not the real thing itself. And smelling a pie is real different than eating a pie. In the same way, happiness from the outside is nothing like joy from the inside, joy from God. I think that it's not just a coincidence that the rates of depression and sadness have skyrocketed in our culture at about the exact same time that our culture has decided to dismiss the words of God as myth and replacing those words with, well, what we now call my truth and your truth, not God's truth. In doing so, what we've done is we've kinked the hose from heaven. we've, We've blocked the life of God, the joy of heaven. And what rattles around in our minds now are just the thoughts that rattle around in our culture. We think the thoughts now that we've heard growing up from our friends. We think the thoughts that we've picked up from the movies we've watched and the TV that we've watched. We think the thoughts that we learned in school and that we hear around us at work. And we rarely stop to think about whether these thoughts are true or not. In fact, we rarely think about what we think about. We just kind of let the 50,000 thoughts, you know, stampede through our mind like a herd of 50,000 cattle, and it just kind of goes and it comes, and then we wake up the next day, and the stampede begins again. We don't take the time to try to identify any one of them. And what that means is that it's very common for us to repeatedly, regularly, daily think thoughts and then feel emotions that are simply not true. The question we have to ask ourselves is not what do I think or feel is true, but what does God say is true? Now, this is the number one item on the list, on the thought list, because, well, this is the most important one. This is the beginning one. This is the 
the outline of the hose or the link between us and the joy of God. It's the foundational key to joy. The next five thoughts are designed to expand on and maintain the lifeline of joy from heaven to our soul. So here's the second one. After we think about what is true, we need to think about what is noble. This is the link to eternity. What I'm saying here is that this is kind of the top end of the hose. This is the place where the hose connects into the eternal purposes of God. The word noble describes something that is bigger than just the moment. If it's noble, it'll last. It'll stand the test of time. So in science, a noble gas is different than any other gas because a noble gas is the ga- a gas that will not be affected by other gases. It won't change. Its composition remains the same. It endures. It lasts. When we talk about a noble birth, what that means is that you are born into a family with a long and distinguished heritage. There's a long history. There's, there's a name that was before you and a name that will go after you. You are entering into a stream, a generational stream that's bigger than you. That's what we mean when we say a noble birth. And when we talk about doing a noble deed, well, we're talking about a deed or an act that will stand the test of time. It will be remembered. It will count longer than just this day or even our life. So when we're thinking about whatever is noble, what we're thinking about really is, how can I live a life that lasts, that touches eternity? The words of God, it turns out, generate some of the greatest joy whenever they're turned into deeds, actions. We don't just think the truth of God and then suddenly experience joy. That helps but it's when we think what God says is important and then we begin to do what God says is important. That's when joy comes. So noble thoughts are the big picture thoughts that help us understand how to connect what God has said, what his words are, to our jobs and our days and our dollars and our parenting. This links our seemingly mundane days to something that is noble. You see, behind most jobs, there's a nobility, but we may not know what it is. If you're in the middle of parenting, especially the younger years, it sure doesn't feel very noble as you change diapers and deal with attitudes. But there is a nobility that comes from projecting life into future generations that it's easy to forget about. And it's important as a parent to Think noble thoughts and realize, okay, this seems pretty struggling and monotonous right now, but man, this is big. There's a nobility in earning money and serving others with it and loving others and contributing to God's kingdom and being a part of what advances for eternity. But if we just get into the routine of debt and bills and going to work, we lose the nobility and the joy of what it means to work and to earn money. So we need to think about whatever is noble. This links our seemingly mundane days to something noble. There is no greater joy than to do the eternal work of God today. That's big perspective thinking. Those are noble thoughts. 
But then we need to do the next one, which is when you think about whatever is right. That's the link to now. The noble thoughts are the top end of the hose, the link to eternity. Whatever is right, that's the bottom end of the hose, the link to now. See, a noble thought is a big-picture thought. How can my life impact eternity? But thinking about what is right, that's next-step thinking. That's the small-picture part of what it takes to build a life that is noble. And we can't just go out today and build a noble life. that, That takes time. But what we can do today is ask this very important question. What is the next right thing for me to do? How can I take God's truth and use that to guide my very next step? What is right in this situation? Now, what we tend to do as we think about our next step is we primarily do consequence-based decision-making. In other words, now, if I do this, what are they going to think? Or what's going to happen? Or what are the consequences going to be? And thinking about that kills joy because there's really no way to know for sure what's going to happen. And a lot of times we talk ourselves out of doing what is right because we're afraid of the consequences. And there's no joy in doing what is wrong. Thinking about what is right anchors your joy in the doable simplicity of just doing the next right thing. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know all of what's going to happen this next month or this next year. I can plan and I can imagine, but there's no joy because I don't know. But there is a fundamental, deep-rooted joy in laying my head down on my pillow at night knowing as best as I could today, I did what God wanted me to do. I did the right thing. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm concerned about this. I don't know about that, but I did the right thing. There's joy in that. So we think about whatever is right. And then number four, we think about whatever is pure. This is the link cleaner. You know, with 50,000 thoughts going through our mind daily, it's important to keep the joy conduit from God as clean as possible. Now, again, we tend to not even think about the thoughts that we're exposed to. We just let the herd of 50,000 kind of roam like the, you know, the open wild west. We listen to whatever happens to be on the radio. We sing the lyrics of whatever the popular songs are, not really thinking about what they're saying. We watch kind of whatever's popular on TV. We engage in whatever gossip's floating around the groups that we're part of. And over time, our mind just gets all gunked up with all kinds of junk. And the joy of God is just can't get through because the hose is plugged up with junk. Recently, I watched a crime show on TV, and I like crime shows. I like the the mystery of them. But on this particular crime show, you know how they do this every once in a while? They surprise you with a shocking image, and all of a sudden, there was this severed head. And for the next several days, the image of that severed head kept popping up in my head. And you know, the image of a severed head is not a joy producer. It's a joy killer. I mean, you can't experience joy with the image of a severed head in your brain. So I know some of you are thinking, are you saying we can't watch crime shows on TV? Really? I can't watch a crime show? That is not what I'm saying. But let me challenge you. If that's what you're thinking, that's the wrong question to ask. The question is not, what's allowed in my mind? 
But how will it affect my mind? Do you want joy? I do. Then I need to think about what is pure. You know, if your thought is, where's the line of mental filth that I can walk right up next to and not cross? I'll stay on this side. Well, that's not going to produce joy. I mean, we don't do that with drinking water. We don't say, all right, what does the government say is the dirtiest possible water I can drink? What's the highest amount of lead or heavy metals or, or arsenic or whatever I can have? In, and then I'm going to buy a bottle of that. No, we go out and look for the purest water. Why? Because we want pure stuff in our body. And that's the approach we need to take with our mind. Not, you know, where's the line? And I'll just get up closest to the filth that I can and not cross it. Well, then, that's not going to produce joy. We need to think about whatever is pure. Number five is lovely. We need to think about whatever is lovely. This is the link reminder. What I'm saying here is if you ever forget the truth of this diagram, which I understand you might, maybe even this afternoon, there is a quick way to be reminded about this, about where joy really comes from. Just go look at something of beauty and allow your mind to take it all in. You know, spend an afternoon at the beach. Spend a day, maybe a week, in the mountains. Sit down and listen to a beautiful piece of music. If the marine layer ever goes away, go down and look at the sunset. But look at something of beauty and pause and allow your mind to be transported by that beauty. You see, beauty is the one link that we all have to God. It's the one thing about God and his creation that nobody can shake. I mean, people can turn away from God by ignoring him, pretending he doesn't exist, defying him, inventing lies about him, but no one can turn away from his beauty. I mean, I've gone to all kinds of national parks and you don't ever see anybody say, no, nope, I'm not looking. No, no. You know, I don't ride my bike down PCH much anymore because people can't stop looking at the ocean. <laughs> they just can't stop turning. People can't turn away from God. His beauty is irresistible. It can melt the hardest of hearts and lift the darkest of thoughts. So pausing to smell the scent of heaven that's left over here, from the creative words of God is a great reminder of where joy comes from. And then the last word is admirable. Think about whatever is admirable. This is the link of gratitude. I think gratitude is the fastest way to remove kinks from the joy hose, the hose that links us to God. The New Testament is written in the Greek language. And the Greek word for admirable here is really a compound word. It means good report. Think about good reports. The idea is that if you were going to write up a good report on this day, what would you include? If you were going to write up a good report on this person, what would you list? Now, we're very familiar with bad reports. The vast majority of our thoughts about ourselves, about people, and about our word are bad reports. We're regularly thinking, I can't believe I did that. What's wrong with me? Bad reports about us. Bad reports about other people. I can't believe they did that. 
or bad reports about our world. I mean, that's what the news is. Here are the eight worst things that happened since you were last watching news. So we're used to nursing a grudge or complaining to our friends or sulking in response to a disappointment. We know all about bad reports. This negative approach to life, though, that's a joy killer. So God says, I want you to think about what is admirable. I want you to start compiling some good reports. Now, we can compile bad reports in our sleep. But I tell you, it takes a concerted effort and a lot of practice to learn how to compile a good report. You you might think of someone and just say, okay, what's a good report? And you're sitting there thinking, uh, I'm going to have to think about that. Well, good. Think about it. What would you put down? But I tell you, in time, we can learn how to write up some good reports. And that can become a practice. So I think a great place to start with all of this is to make a gratitude list. This helps me if I find myself, you know, that feeling, you're just, you're just sinking into the depths of the... One of the great ways to just begin to snap out is let's, let me write up a good report. Let's get a gratitude list going. It's easy to list complaints about somebody, but what if you wrote down five ways they've been a blessing to you? Maybe not today, but over time. How have they blessed your life? Well, that might shift your thoughts about them. Well, what if you told them about just one of those five thoughts? Well, that, that might shift the entire relationship in a different direction. That might start a very good cascade of thoughts. Now, there's a quick test to use on what you're thinking. If you can't remember all these six, here's a good way to remember the summary ideas. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, this is listed as a paragraph in the way this verse is written. That's why there's dashes on each side of it. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what does this mean? Well, the focus is shifting from your private thoughts now to how your thoughts might sound in public. If you're going to speak in public, you choose words that are excellent, right? And praiseworthy. I mean, I'm speaking in public. I put a lot of time in these words because I don't want to stand up here and just say non-excellent things or things that don't elevate your understanding at all. You're the same way. If you're going to get up in front of public and speak, you're going to work on excellent and praiseworthy kind of words. So here's a way to think of it. If there was a speaker attached to your brain and everything you were thinking was being broadcast, ooh, which thoughts would you cringe at whenever people heard them? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you heard that? Did I say that or just think that? No, there's a speaker attached to your brain. And I just heard it. Oh, no. Whatever those thoughts, those oh, no thoughts are, those need to be replaced. That's the summary. So a couple of very practical suggestions. I would suggest that you begin by starting to think about what you're thinking about. You know, at the end of the day, just take five minutes, ten minutes. Again, most people, it's the wild, wild west or the Serengeti plain where the herds just, woo, they go through and everyone watches and takes pictures, but nobody tags anything. So maybe, I'd recommend maybe a couple times throughout the day, but if not, then at the end of the day, just take five minutes, maybe ten minutes, and just try to write down what are some key themes that I was thinking about today. What you'll discover is just to think, what was I thinking about today is a very insightful exercise. 
Try to identify. Not all 50,000, that's impossible, but come up with three, five. And then just pick one of the six thoughts that we've just gone through on this list and start practicing it. Maybe as we went through, you thought, yeah, I really need to work on that. I've got volumes and volumes of negative reports, but I can't remember the last time I wrote up a good report. That's what I need to work on, a gratitude list. Whatever it is, pick one of the six and start practicing it. You see, those who experience joy don't necessarily have more to be joyful about. Have you ever noticed that? Some of the most joyful people that I know, I look at their circumstances and I think, you have no reason to be joyful. And they are. Why? It's because they think differently. They have a link set up between them and the joy of heaven. They have learned to think often about, as it says here, whatever is true. They get rid of the lies and they really work on thinking of whatever is true and whatever is noble. And whatever is right, and whatever is pure, and whatever is lovely, and then whatever is admirable. In short, if there's anything that's excellent or praiseworthy, that's the stuff they work on thinking about. And over time, their joy grows. Let's pray. Father, it is true what Jesus said, that we do not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from your mouth. And one of the big evidences of that is our joy. So often we dine on lies and negative thoughts and impure ideas, and it just kills our joy because we cut the link between you and us in doing so. We long to be happy. We long to have joy on the inside. So, Father, I pray that you'd help each of us to know what are the next maybe two steps to take. How do we begin to turn this around? What can we do to begin to practice and then experience the kind of joy that comes from you? My prayer is, Father, that as as we work on this, that we would be able to share more and more in this world that is increasingly sad. Our world really is struggling with an answer to the the happiness problem. We pray that you'd help us to to grow in joy and then share it. We pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.